So Genesis 22 is our first reading. Genesis 22. Um, this is towards the end of the Abraham section in Genesis. It began with a genealogy back at the end of chapter 11 with the genealogy of Terah, who is Abram's dad. And then here you also have a genealogy at the end of chapter 22 with the family of uh, Nahor. And then the focus begins to shift uh, to Sarah, uh, or excuse me, to Isaac and uh, his family that would come from him, especially as you see uh, Abraham's death approaching uh, in the chapters to come. But chapter 22 is the sacrifice of Isaac, where Abraham is tested by God. Genesis 22 says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And God said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey while the lad, the boy, and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And they came to the place of which God had told him, Moriah. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only one, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, or Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. 
Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, Buzz his brother, Kimuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlof, Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Ruma, also bore Teba, Geham, Tehash, and Makah. Amen. That's Genesis 22. Let's read Ephesians 3, and then we'll flip back to Genesis 22. Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, namely that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord." in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Flip back to... Genesis 22, we are, as I said this morning in the announcements, we are six weeks away from Easter. Easter is, of course, about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But before a resurrection, before Easter is Good Friday, before resurrection is death, before resurrection is burial, This is not just the case with the Christian calendar, but it is the case in the life of the Christian. It is the case in your soul as well, that death and burial, 
that mortification comes before resurrection. Children, to summarize that even more basically, trial comes before exaltation. Difficulty comes before glory. The Christ of whom Paul speaks in Ephesians 3 is the resurrected and ascended Christ. If there is an epistle of Easter, it's Ephesians. It focuses on the resurrected Christ, the ascended Christ, in a way that the others do not. The message that St. Paul came to preach is called, in Ephesians 3, 4, the mystery of Christ. And the very next verse of that chapter, Paul says that this was not revealed. This mystery of Christ was not revealed in the past as it had been revealed through the apostolic ministry and by implication to us in this age. This, this mystery of Christ. Think of it. Think of that term. Paul says this mystery has not been revealed in the past. So it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament in the way that it was revealed in the New But that doesn't mean it wasn't revealed. He just says that it wasn't revealed in the way, in the same way, or in the fullness. So we can say that the mystery of Christ is in the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. The mystery of Christ is in the trial that Abraham faces on Mount Moriah. Matthew Henry calls Genesis 22 one of the wonders of the church. (laughs) One of the wonders of the church. He speaks of this particular chapter, Genesis 22. Children, you're probably very familiar with this text, right? Where God calls on Abraham to be ready to give his own son as a sacrifice. The parallels of Christ just kind of jump off the page, don't they? Right? You have this uh, testing that takes place. There's a testing of Abraham in Genesis 22. Christ was tested as well. You also have obedience amidst tremendous difficulty. Did you notice how it happened in in verse 2 and 3? God makes this declaration. He doesn't say, would you mind? He says, take your son By the way, lest you think that I'm talking about that other son you have, your only son, Isaac, your special son, your only begotten, you might say, take this son that you have. And then in verse three, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and went. There's no hesitation in the text. He's here one day. And he's gone the next. He obeyed the Lord even amidst this tremendous difficulty. Another parallel of Christ, you might say, in verse 4, it happens on the third day that Abraham lifted his eyes and saw this place afar off. And look at the confidence of Abraham on this, this third day, like the third day Christ was raised from the dead, almost pointing to that. He says, stay here in verse 5 with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And notice he says, we will come back. He doesn't say I. He says, we. He's not trying to trick God, but he trusts God. We'll get to that in a moment in Hebrews. But he also says, then speaking directly to Isaac, when Isaac asked the question, children, you'd probably ask your dad the same question, right? If he's taking you up to this mountain, um, dad, 
we're going to offer a sacrifice, right? Where is it? Right? Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says, the Lord's going to give him. He's going to provide him. This substitution idea comes through as well. We know that's part of the work of Jesus Christ. He was our substitute. But you also have this submissive son. Isaac says, okay. Isaac, this promised one, he consigns himself to the will of his father. Don't we see that same theme in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? When he says, not my will, O father, but yours be done as he approaches the crucifixion. And then another thing is you have this covenant confirmation where if you jump to the end of Genesis 22, because Abraham obeyed, he says in verse 16, because I have sworn, says the Lord, and because you have done this thing, because you have obeyed and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will confirm my covenant with you. I will bless you as I promised. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This covenant confirmation idea. This is a tremendous parallel to the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Because He came to do the same thing. That is what the cross of Christ is. All the bloodshed, all the sacrifices pointed forward to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is so much Bible Packed into this one chapter. Another thing I would be uh, remiss to uh, overlook, but the place to which Abraham is called to make this offering is a mountain in Moriah. If you were to read 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, you would see that Solomon builds the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. So you have the the temple, the house of the Lord that Solomon would build. This is also, 2 Chronicles 3.1, where the Lord had appeared to David. Right? At the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. The Lord is marking this place out for blood and his covenant. Most people would also argue, even conservative scholars, that this is the same place that... uh, Moses goes to that Abraham goes to the first time and also uh, is related to the place where the Tower of Babel was. Or that they were uh, centering that whole book of Genesis around this one mountain and preparing the rest of the Bible for it. The Lord is marking this place out. But you have to wonder, because you can't preach the Old Testament without thinking about The New Testament, right? God gave us a whole Bible, not just an Old Testament, not just a New Testament. So when we read this passage, we don't need to ignore Christ, but we also don't need to ignore Abraham. This is a true trial of Abraham's faith. Matthew Henry calls it a trial of Abraham's faith. Maybe your Bible uh, gives a, a title at the beginning of the chapter. Mine says, Abraham's faith confirmed. And listen to what Matthew Henry says. Here is the trial of Abraham's faith. Whether it continued so strong, so vigorous, so victorious, after a long settlement in communion with God as it was at first when by it he left his country. What he's saying is that God is seeing if Abraham's love for him was as sure at this point as it was when Abraham left his people in Genesis 11 and 12. And listen how he closes this quote. Then, meaning in Genesis 11 and 12, it was made to appear that he loved God more than his father. 
But now, in Genesis 22, that he loved God more than his son. What a tremendous closing to the life of Abraham. That he was going to show his love of God over his father at the beginning and his love of God over his son in the end. The Geneva Bible, that that old Bible from the 1500s, says this in this passage, was the chiefest point of Abraham's testing seeing that he was commanded to offer up him, Isaac, in whom God had promised to bless all the nations of the world. You see, that's the real uh, framework or, or the real backdrop of Genesis 22, is God had made this promise to Abraham that we, he would make him a father of all nations. You remember what Abraham did shortly after that with his wife? He took Hagar instead. They made this plan, well, you know, it's taking too long. We want to do things and, and, you know, we're tired of waiting for the Lord. Let's take matters into our own hand. So he has Ishmael. But then God brings about the birth of Isaac, the one through whom the promise would be fulfilled. This great promise that Abraham would be the father among the father over all nations. He would have a a seed as numerous of the stars of the heaven, as numerous of the sand on the sea. But here God says, the one through whom you know I'm promised, or the one through whom you know I'm going to fulfill my promise, offer him up to me. As it were, saying, give him back. (laughs) And Abraham did. He was willing to do that. And then Hebrews says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding, That God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So why did Abraham have that confidence? Why did he go up to make this sacrifice of his son? Because he knew that even if he had to put the blade to him, which he was willing to do, that God would raise him up. Because he was the promised one. He was the one in whom the seed, the the offspring, would come. So as it were, there's a type of resurrection even on Mount Moriah here. But that's not the only place in the New Testament this comes up. This is also uh, pointed to in James 2 with the whole justified by works passage. This is what James says there talking about this very scene. He says, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Side note, you ever read through the Bible and you just kind of fly through something and then you read through the same passage you've read a hundred times and something just jumps off to you? Have you ever noticed how that's phrased? But do you want to know? Right? Not do you not know, because he asked that in another place. But do you really want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? So James, a uh, holy or a, a spirit-inspired apostle of the Lord Jesus, writer in the New Testament, says that this was Abraham's justification by works. Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works his faith was made perfect or complete or full? The scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Bible language there. See, the truth is that there was never a greater trial for any sinner. The Lord Jesus was not a sinner, so he is accepted from this statement. There was never a greater trial for any sinner than what Abraham faced that day. And yet, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provided, the Lord will provide. It is likely, friends, that you and I will never face anything quite close to this. And yet, look how quick we are to doubt that he will provide. And we never face anything quite close to this. Sometimes we need these reminders about financial things. Sometimes we need these reminders about physical things. Sometimes we need these reminders about spiritual things. And yet you will never, we, I, you, and us, will never enter a place wherein we no longer need to know that the Lord will provide. Uh, this week I've been meditating on uh, the fact that it, it sounds really basic, but like I said, sometimes things just hit you in a fresh way uh, that is very apparent on the surface of Scripture. Uh, what it means to say that the Old Testament is a shadow of the new? Because, you know, you can think of a term shadow and just think of it as well, not clearly revealed, right? It's kind of in the dark. It's not quite clear what it is. But I don't know about you, but every shadow I've ever seen is it's, it's pretty reflective of something else, right? That the shadow itself is an actual representation of a thing to come. Right? So when you see a shadow, it's not that you don't see the thing, it's just that you don't see it in its fullness. Right? You, you see a shadow of it. So when you're looking at the Old Testament, it's not that you're not looking at Christ, you're looking at the shadow, and it's as if you walk through the Old Testament, you look at the shadow on the ground, and your eyes finally come up to see Him. That's what it means to say that the Old Testament is a shadow, or as Hebrews 10.1 says, the law is a shadow of things to come. The fullness has come. So we can look back on the shadows now and say, oh my word. Right? Or as, as that, uh, I, I really liked B.B. Uh, Warfield's explanation of this, that, that God has always only had one house. But in the Old Testament, the house was, it was full of furniture, but the lights weren't on. Right? You're walking through the house, you're bumping into things, you don't quite know what's going on. But in the New Testament, the light is flipped on. And then all the furniture makes sense. You know what you're bumping into. It's not a person. It's a chair. 
right? It's a dining room table. You, you finally get it. The shadows, you might say, were there. The darkness, but now the fullness has come. Christ Jesus, dear Christians, Christ Jesus is not only the submissive Isaac. He's also the faithful Abraham. He's also the ram in the thicket. It all points to him. He infuses our works with his perfection by the Spirit so that we too might pass the many tests of faith that the Lord sets before us. You know, we can kind of brush over some of this stuff and say God will never put anything in front of us like this. And that, you know, that, that may very well be the case. But just can you just step back and marvel at the faith of Abraham for just a second? How little he had compared to what we have, and yet how willing he was able to do that. Right? We're told that we live under the time of a, a new and better covenant. We're told that the Lord Christ has gone to be with the Father and that's better for us that he's gone there because he can send his spirit. Abraham, <laughs> he's the, the third big man in the scriptures. Adam, Noah, Abraham. Right? Very early on. And yet he's willing to do this. Oh, Lord. Search our hearts so that we would be willing to face these trials. There are so many trials, aren't there? So many trials. We need the faith of Abraham. We have the blessing of Christ to walk therein. Amen. Let's pray.